We think that imagination is something that we use as kids, and then as we get older, it starts to fade away, and it's just not the case. We use our imaginations every day as adults to worry, to fear, especially in the context of change. And so I think that worry is a misuse of imagination, and part of the reason why that narrative work is so important is because it allows you to take agency over that storytelling process to recognize how you're misusing your imagination. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world. You're now one simple tip, practical tool, and small step away from growing your business. One Next Step is brought to you by Belay, the incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. And now to your hosts. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm LZ, and with me, as always, is my fabulous co-host, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. LZ, it's so good to be with you today. And I've got to say, I am really excited about today's episode because I had the opportunity to talk to Harris III. He's a storyteller, speaker, and author, and he helps leaders embrace the power of storytelling and the way that they lead themselves and their organizations. He has a crazy kind of story of how he got to be where he is now. He started as a professional magician or an illusionist, uh, but now he's an entrepreneur who has performed or spoken to more than 2 million people in more than 30 countries and five continents. His performances have been televised to millions more on the Travel Channel and ABC Family all over television. Wow, like what an amazing resume. That's so cool. Harris is the author of the best-selling book, The Wonder Switch, and his mission is to help entrepreneurs transform from the story they feel stuck in to the life they want to live. Amen. But before we dive into Ryan and Harris's conversation, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about Belay. With modern staffing from Belay, businesses and leaders can focus on growth without the unnecessary overhead or learning curves associated with hiring and onboarding full-time employees. Belay is the incredible 100%, yep, I said it, 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with our virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more juggle less, and get back to what only you can do, growing your business with modern staffing from Belay. Harris, thank you so much for joining us today on One Next Step. How are you doing today? And I'm having an awesome day. How about you? I am doing really, really well. Um, I'm really excited to get to hang out with you. Not only are we both on this podcast, but we're actually friends outside of this, which is kind of cool as well. So, Indeed. Always fun to hang with a friend on a podcast. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, I'd love for you to start. Uh, you have a really fascinating story to me, but like a, kind of the critical peak of that, or I don't, I don't know what it might be, is like part of your story is you made a million dollars before you were 21 years old. Uh, how did you do that? And then what happened next? Why does that sound so critical? I don't understand. That's normal, right? It's a great part of a story. I mean, it's a great part of your story. Oh, man. Well, I uh, started when I was a kid. I I started performing magic really young. And probably when I was about 14, 15 years old, I remember my parents sitting me down and explaining, Harris, you just made six figures this year. That's more money than we'd ever made combined. And I was making that performing magic shows. Literally was traveling around the world doing magic. So I had a chance to perform magic in probably a dozen countries um, for over a million people by the time I was 21 years old. And with that came making a million dollars. And so by the time I was 21 and made a million bucks, and it's like, I'm going to get out of my little small town. I'm going to move to the big city. 
of Nashville, <laughs> which was not that big <laughs> at the time. It's getting bigger, obviously. Um, and dude, got sucked into a whole bunch of stories that weren't true. And now my expertise helps me understand that narrative drives behavior. But the narrative that I had bought into and adopted as true basically led me to doing everything in my power to control the perceptions of other people. We we tend to call that keeping up with the Joneses. So yeah. even though I'd made a million dollars, I wasted it and then some. And by 22, I was practically bankrupt. So went from the top to the bottom pretty quickly. That's wild. And I, I just knowing you and hearing your story, like that really informs so much of what happens next in your career. Uh, walk In a couple minutes, walk me through kind of how you got from there to where you're at now, where you've got quite a few endeavors and you're really kind of leading the way in some conversations in different ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, man, you think about it. If you make a million dollars by 21, um, that leads to a whole bunch of feelings and thoughts, right? Uh, and I'm, I still remember. It's like a home video in my head laying in bed at night. I remember we had this like inlay tray ceiling in that bedroom laying in our bed. And I would just stare at the ceiling thinking, "Is this, what's next? Like, is this it? This is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life, just get on another plane or another tour bus to go to another magic show to make more money, to buy more stuff so I can trick more people into liking me because I'm so insecure, <laughs> just desperate <laughs> to feel loved and accepted, right? Um, and so I kept keeping up with the Joneses. And then when you go from those feelings of like, okay, I feel like I kind of have it all and I can't believe I'm only 21 and I've got the American dream, but this isn't satisfying to then, well, now it's really not satisfying because somehow I screwed it all up and, and bankrupt. You start asking yourself some really serious questions about what life is all about. And one of the most interesting questions that came to me during that time was, how did I get tricked into believing this stuff? You know, all these different lies. And that's an interesting question to ask yourself when you quite literally trick people for a living. And so as an illusionist, you sort of become this expert in deception. You study these different principles that make a, you know, deception happen. And there are good forms of deception and bad forms of deception. That sounds really weird, right? But like... You know, we we do things to ourselves and we put camouflage on people that are running into battle. We all sort of play with these different perceptions uh, that create illusions. We show highlight reels on the internet of our lives, right? We're all partaking of this. And a magician is obviously a decent form of deception because it's making people smile and happy. No one's trying to use it to take advantage of them. But there are obviously parts of some different principles of deception that are pretty universal, whether you use them for good or bad doesn't change the principle, but it does prove that it's easy to be deceived. And so I dug into those and was like, oh, that's what happened. The same way that I got tricked into believing these lies are the same principles that I use on stage. So that kickstarted next chapter of feeling like I've got a pretty cool tool to go share my story and also help other people understand how they get tricked into believing some of the stuff that they believe. It's really interesting. We're in this kind of pivotal part in culture, moment in culture where people are both actively deceiving other people and then spending hours at home watching multiple TV shows about people deceiving other people. I feel like <laughs> it's like an interesting moment. There's like multiple hit shows right now all about the Tinder swindler or whatever it might be, you know, that are about deception. So people are interested in deception and being deceived and not wanting to be deceived. Are you saying we've had the multiverse all along? It was at our fingertips and we just... We, just we were right creating there. our own multiverses, yeah. <laughs> we had no idea. But no, I was funny, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, the only appropriate version of deception is magic, right? Like all of the other all of the other versions you have to spend time in counseling to solve. <laughs> well, we put timers on our lights in our houses to ward off burglars. We wear makeup as human beings. Uh, we paint everything from 
parts of our body to our walls and our houses to cover what we view as blemishes. I mean, we're partaking in this on a regular basis, right? It's just, you know, the the difference between a magician and a con man is not the principles that they're using. They're using the same principles. It's the motive of how they're using those principles to either serve or uh, take advantage of. So decep- deception is a language, and we all speak it. <laughs> oh, that's really – that is really interesting. So you've kind of developed these principles. You understand that idea, and now you're working with lots of different groups of people. Tell me a little about some of your kind of endeavors on business and who you're working with talking about these, the kind of idea of deception and, and story and motive. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, in order to talk about that, I'd love to tell you a short story. It's the greatest way to understand love that. the origin of how it all was, was – what it was all born out of. Um, you know, I went from that season – of just struggling for a few years to figure out what to do with my life. The only thing I knew how to do since I was a little kid was magic. And so just kind of kept traveling around doing magic shows. My wife and I went on this trip to Central America, came home after interacting with poverty, sold everything we had, started digging out of a few hundred thousand dollars worth of debt that we had racked up. And long story short, I'm in this school in the state of Michigan. I walk in, the principal's like, hey, you're a magician. You know how to trick people. Go out there and tell those students how they're getting tricked into making the choices they're making. And I was like, I've been thinking about this stuff. However, I don't think I'm what you want me to be. I'm not a motivational speaker, man. I'm just here to do some magic tricks. And he's like, oh, go out there, tell your story. And he gives me a pat on the back and just introduces me. I go out. I'm in a gymnasium. You have like a 1,000 high school kids up on a bleacher in front of me. I do a bunch of magic. I don't remember everything I did, but I remember I finished getting out of a straight jacket at the end. And I remember holding up this straight jacket and thinking, what do I say that's inspirational? And I'm like, hey, I don't know where your straight jacket is. But if it looked like I was, it was hard to get out of this thing, it was. It was really hard. And I've had multiple straitjackets in my lifetime. And for the first time in my entire career, I got vulnerable and real in front of an audience. I was like, you know, got bullied as a kid in school, experienced some abuse in my childhood, addiction as a teenager, um, you know, made a million dollars by 21 and got addicted to approval and went bankrupt by 22, straitjacket after straitjacket. So I was like, I don't know what your straitjacket is. I just know that you have one. And I want you to know. I don't have all the answers, but I'm still standing. There's always hope. Please keep going. Everyone leaves. I'm beating myself up. I'm like, I should have just stuck to the script. That was awful. I don't know if you've ever given a bad talk, Ryan. Most of them, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, that inner critic is raging war. Like, you're an idiot. Why did you just do that? And then this girl, everyone leaves except for this young lady. She starts walking up to me down the steps, across the gym floor. She is bawling, tears running down her cheeks. She's like, hey, I've got something for you. I'm like, what is it? She says, my straight jacket. I hold up my hands. She reaches into her pocket. She pulls out a razor blade, drops a razor blade into my hands, said, that's my straight jacket, and I don't want it anymore. And you're the first person to ever make me feel like life. my life matters. Dude, I became addicted to that feeling of, oh, shoot, she didn't ask to take a picture with me in that moment. She didn't ask for my autograph. She didn't comment on a single magic trick or ask me how it was done which is what magicians usually spend their time after presentations talking about. How did you do that trick? How did you make that table fly? How did you make that thing disappear? Can I take your picture? Can, we, can I get your autograph? She was like, hey, you changed my life and made a difference, basically. And I was like, I need to understand what just happened, and I want more of that. I became less interested in being an entertainer at that point and more interested in making a difference. I was certainly not as interested in making money anymore from that point forward as much as I was interested in making a difference. Long story short, that led to a season of research that led me back to understanding the power of story and narrative, that essentially we are storytelling creatures as human beings. We make sense of the world by creating a story that we tell ourselves. All those stories that we create, they form what I consider an overarching narrative 
that narrative drives our thinking, our choices, and behavior consciously and subconsciously for the rest of our lives until we change it. Um, just like Jung said, if we don't make the unconscious conscious, it will direct our life and we will call it fate. So somewhere along the way, someone told her a story that she wasn't good enough or thin enough or cool enough or perfect enough without the right genes or the right makeup or the right car. And I thought, dude, if storytellers are this powerful, someone ought to be gathering them together to have a conversation about that power. And that's where story began. So we started doing this two-day conference and then all these amazing leaders from companies like Apple, Google, Disney, Nat Geo, Cirque du Soleil, Nike, and some of the biggest faith-based organizations, nonprofits, family foundations, everything from Bill Gates Foundation to the Koch Foundation, they just started showing up to have this collective conversation about the power that stories have. Then those people started asking me to come speak to their teams. Then some of them who produce events started asking us to come help them produce and design their experiences. One thing led to another. I got asked to write a book on the subject. Um, and then my work and story, yeah, the wonder switch intersected with my work around wonder, my understanding as a magician, and where wonder and story intersect, dude, it's unstoppable. Magic starts happening. It's where all change and transformation begins. That's unbelievable. And we're going to dive into a little bit of that book here in a little bit. But the majority of our audience is small and medium-sized business owners, you know, leaders in the business world that are kind of, you know, trying to lead their teams and grow their businesses. How has the idea of narrative and story applied to them in your experience? Like who have you worked with as you've talked about that? Cause I think it's so easy to hear that and go, well, that's just for quote unquote creatives, you know, or that's just for storytellers. And I think you have a really unique perspective on that. I'd love to hear you talk about that a little more. Well, there's something that all human beings have in common, and that is we don't like change, and yet we're all facing it on a regular basis. There is not a single leader, business owner, entrepreneur, solopreneur, freelancer, mom, dad, kid, anyone on the planet who has not had to figure out how to navigate change over the last couple of years. And we can be resistant to it, or we can see it as an opportunity. Um, there's a concept I learned about a few years ago. It was actually just before the pandemic called liminal space. We did an entire theme around it at Story One Year. Um, I think our theme that year was just called Between No Longer and Not Yet. My friend John Booker told me about it late. I was driving up an interstate in L.A. It was like 2 a.m. And I call him and I'm venting about how hard my life is. I don't even remember what was going on in that moment. I just remember venting to him. And he's like this jolly guy. He's like, oh, Harris, it's all good. You're just in liminal space, man. That's all. I'm excited for you. And I was like, I'm in what? It's like liminal space. I was like, what is that? I wake up the next morning, he'd sent me a couple articles, and it's everything from architects talking about literal liminal spaces to like old spiritual mystics using it as a metaphor of the space between the no longer and the not yet. So I started studying liminal spaces and realized cultural anthropologists considered them the space between the old story and the new story. So think about, right, like if we're storytelling creatures, if we walk around all day long telling ourselves stories to make sense of the world, so often that even when we fall asleep at night, our brain stays up all night long telling us stuff, telling ourselves more stories, then if we're in an old story and either we decide to leave the old story, we leave a relationship, we quit a job, we leave a, a role to start a new company, or a pandemic comes along and kicks us out of the old story that we were perfectly content in, hello, 2019, right? And then March of 2020 hits and I'm like, uh, where's the new story? May 2020 comes along. I'm like, hey, guys, where's the new story? <laughs> the story's <laughs> you know, getting worse. The yeah, old yeah, story's getting it, worse and worse, yeah. not better. Yeah, I don't even know how many months or years has it been now. And many of us are still like, hey, like the old story's gone, but I don't know the new story's figured out yet. And 
if you look at this at various scales, like even nations and cultures, like I think the U.S. right now, we're still trying to figure out like what is the new story of America and people can't agree on what that is. The old one is clearly gone. We're out of that, but the new one is not here yet. I have a buddy who calls liminal space hell in the hallway because it feels like the door has closed, but the next one hasn't opened yet, and you're just sort of caught in the in-between. And so I think this is a relevant conversation because we're all trying to navigate that change. And when change happens, there is a, a movement. There's a movement from an old story to a new story. But when we get caught in the liminal space of the in-between, we've got to figure out what to do with that. And what wonder allows us to do is develop a new understanding of what those stories in our minds are doing to our thinking and choice making and behavior. But they also help us understand that when the liminal space is a blank slate, instead of being scared by it because the old story is gone, we can actually get really excited about the opportunities we have to pick up a paintbrush and start painting a new story. And if we can get to the point where we learn how to use our imaginations properly, I think we can do that with courage instead of fear. That's an idea that applies to everybody, whether you're leading a small team in your business or you're leading your own business trying to figure out what's next. I know for you, like that liminal space that kind of was the beginning of the pandemic led you to start working kind of more specifically with what you called solopreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, what does that look like for you? And like, what exactly is a solopreneur? Oh, dude, I'm so glad you asked because I have strong opinions about this. I'm so yeah. annoyed by the way that the world defines a solopreneur. And if you really think about it, um, there is nothing wrong with freelancing and there is nothing wrong with my entrepreneur friends who are trying to sell companies right now, right? It's just there is a gap between those two things. You know, freelancers can get easily frustrated because it's difficult to scale as a freelancer. Freelancers tend to be based on time-based pricing instead of value-based pricing, the majority of them. And so you can't scale beyond the number of hours you have. And then once you tap out whatever niche market you're in for your hourly rate, it's hard to raise it much higher. And most freelancers, myself included, when I was one, we were pretty obsessed with a craft. Um, and so it's like, I don't care really too much more other than if I can do what I love every single day, which is magic tricks. Or if a graphic designer is like, dude, as long as I get to spend my day, my hours doing graphic design, I love that. I don't care if it's for Susie's Ice Cream Shop or Bob's Flooring Company, right? I'm not obsessed with floors. I'm not obsessed with ice cream. I'm obsessed with graphic design, right? And then if you flip to the other side of the equation, entrepreneurs typically are trying to bring on investors, raise capital, develop an exit strategy, build a massive building with lots of people. Well, that day is probably gone, right? Build a virtual <laughs> building in the metaverse with lots of workers in it, right? Um, and it started with solving some sort of problem in the world. I think that's what entrepreneurs are great at as we solve problems. But think about that. If I'm like, ah, I don't want to freelance anymore. I want to build something that's bigger than me. But my business is tied to myself and my own personal story, right? So if I go to a conference for entrepreneurs or read Entrepreneur Magazine or join an entrepreneur mastermind, all of a sudden I'm surrounded by people who are talking about developing an exit strategy, raising capital, selling. I'm like, I don't, I can't, I don't have an exit strategy. I started this thing because it was giving so much meaning and purpose to my life because I'm obsessed with shifting the narrative. Commerce to me is simply the medium through which I'm trying to bring about change in the world. And so I realized there was this gap between freelancers and entrepreneurs, and no one was serving them well. And so we started this new community called Solo. And then we started a conference called SoloCon because I felt like, gosh, I think there's a whole bunch of other people out there like me. And during the pandemic, when you started mixing in some loneliness and isolation, feeling like I was trapped in a bubble, I think we also needed some community. Um, and so what I love about SoloCon, the idea, if you look at the root language, the word solo means only. The word con or cone means with. 
And so I think this community is really starting to give birth to this idea. It's like, hey, solopreneurs do the work that only you can do, rooted in the power of your personal story. You do the work that only you can do. We can help you grow your business. We can scale a company. A solopreneur doesn't mean that you don't have a team. doesn't mean you don't have a staff. It just means that you are the business, right? And so there's some ways to redefine that word. So you got to do only what you can do. But in order to succeed, you must do that with other people. You can't fly solo alone. You have to fly solo together. And so the idea of being only with is something I've grown pretty passionate about over the last year. That's amazing. I feel like in, you know, I feel like a whole bunch of people in our audience maybe just realized, oh, wow, I'm not only a small business owner, I'm a solopreneur. And there, you know, there are resources out there uh, to help, you know, know how to navigate that and go from there. I know one of the big things you've done is kind of worked with a lot of these solopreneurs. And uh, I'd love to hear you talk about like, the journey that a solopreneur needs to go on to get to a healthy state in their business, like the kind of where they're starting there, like maybe they feel alone or they don't know what to do next. What does like that process look like for them? Yeah, uh, man, it's a great question. And I have spent two years, probably a lot longer uh, trying to figure this out. But the last two years have been so intentional of like researching, trying, experimenting, failing, trying again of how do we create a space in which solopreneurs can truly grow and succeed. Um, here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that most people are obsessed with growing their skill set. And there are so many ways to grow your skill sets for free. We're on a podcast right now. There's lots of podcasts in the world. This one's pretty special. Not all of them are. Um, <laughs> but there's also like a zillion YouTube videos in the world, right? There, there's no shortage of content and training that can help us increase our skill set. However, I think business is probably like 80 to 90% mindset and 10 to 20% skill set. And so it's not that skill sets aren't important. It's that we're so focused on those, we miss the mindset work. And I think that's thing number one. I think the other equation part of that is something, there's a little triangle uh, model that we have in our Inner Circle Mastermind program. And it's the three sides of the triangle are basically content, coaching, and community. Because as people are drawn to build their skill sets, they tend to be drawn towards content. Content is important. We've got to train. We have to learn. We have to level up, right? But I'm learning that, you know, the stats around completing an online course are even more depressing than the number of people who finish my book after they buy it in a bookstore, right? And it's not just my book. It's just that it's like less than 10% of books that are purchased are actually end up getting read from cover to cover. Well, I think it's like less than 5% for online courses, right? And so clearly content on its own, it doesn't feel like it's perfectly setting people up to succeed. So we started doing community. I'm like, man, let's let's not just give people content. Let's gather them together. I'm a live experience guy. I have an entertainment background. That's why I started doing conferences, right? I'm like, let's let's gather these people together to have these collective conversations and allow them to do this stuff in connection and in community with others. Then I was like, oh, gosh, like I put them in community and I give them access to the right content. Now they're all kind of like trying to figure out how to do it. They're still doing a lot of DIY or they're going to someone else in the community and they're spending a lot of money to hire someone to do it for them. Like, what does it look like to do it with them? And that's where coaching came in. And dude, when, we, when we finally started pairing the right content with the right coaching in the context of community, solopreneurs started growing exponentially. Like, it was, ex it was exploding. And it was that combination of a focus on those three things and a simultaneous focus on both skill set and mindset. Oh, that's amazing. I feel like uh, I've heard you say that being solo doesn't mean flying solo. Yeah, we're meant for more than the lonely hustle, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm tired of solopreneurs feeling like they're hustling alone. Just, just stop. There's a better way. 
I'm like you, my background is in live events, specifically in kind of the nonprofit religious experience. And um, I, the thing that is so special about dedicated time is that it almost, it's almost, it's like forced discipline, right? Like uh, how many YouTube videos have you had open or Ted talks? Have you had open in a browser for like three weeks? And then you finally were like, I'm never going to watch this, you know? <laughs> Like I finally have to reboot my computer. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that's why we oh, spend no, all this money. Browser tabs. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like pulling up my iPad to go. Is it still saved there or whatever it might be? Yeah, you know. And the thing that's so special about either a coaching network or I know for me, like you know, therapy is this way, right? Or you know, my executive coaching, my leadership coaching. You know, going to a conference or signing up for a webinar, whatever it might be. It's not that that content isn't always available somewhere else, though. You know, when you get to experience with other people, it's really special. It's that it creates a discipline for you to do it, and when you engage with that. Content, content with those other two sides of the triangle. It, it's really where the magic is. And so I've, I mean, I've seen that in my life. And uh, it's why when you put on a webinar, I'd always put it on my calendar. And then I try <laughs> to make it don't always do but I try. So well, I'm honored, man. It's because all that stuff you're talking about, whether it's coaching or being at a conference or therapy, even it is all working at the level of story, right? You're digging into those narratives that you have adopted as true and figuring out, okay, what parts of them aren't true. And which ones have hijacked my imagination, uh, which kind of goes back to one of the things I was saying earlier. You always see this with solopreneurs. We see with storytellers because all human beings are trying to navigate change and stay safe in the world um, and either pursue pleasure or eliminate pain. And in the lack of pleasure, according to, you know, Man's Search for Meaning, an amazing book by Viktor Frankl, in the absence of that pleasure, they're really searching for meaning, right? I just want I just yeah. want a meaningful life. And so we start making up all these stories that scare us, and that's the work of human imagination. And one of my favorite things is to reframe that for people. Like you, we think that imagination is something that we use as kids, and then as we get older, it starts to fade away. And it's just not the case. We use our imaginations every day as adults to worry, to fear, especially in the context of change, to ask like, oh, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And oftentimes it's negative. Uh, we feel we end that story in our imagination with something negative. And so I think that worry is a misuse of imagination. And part of the reason why that therapy and coaching and that work, that narrative work is so important is because it allows you to take agency over that storytelling process to recognize how you're misusing your imagination in worry and fear and anxiety and recognize I have the power to take back the pen and actually end this story in a positive way that serves my mission better. You can't not have vision. It cracks me up when people are just like, oh, you have so much vision. Everyone has vision. They just don't all have a positive one. They don't all have a hopeful one. And to do that, we've got to get back to a place of wonder. And we got to do that story work that you're talking about, whether it's coaching or therapy or something else. I, you know, you talked about that liminal space earlier. And I, that, uh, that story conference that you were talking about for me was this, you know, I kind of hit rock bottom two weeks before that. And, you know, really, you know, a lot of burnout in my life coming out of a really hard season. And I feel like the, this idea of the kind of transformation map, uh, for me, that the idea of that was introduced, you know, subtly through the, you know, the potential of wonder and the own stories you tell yourself, but then also the way that you lead your team and whatever it might be. So you have this tool, the transformation map, which I feel like kind of takes all of these things that we're talking about and puts it in like a really practical kind of 
diagram and understanding of, of how to navigate that. And whether you're changing your own narrative, your own story, you need to change the narrative or story of your team or your business, the way that you are going to market with your the message of your business, or it's like your own family, whatever it might be. You've got this tool that really can apply in all, all these different places because story and narrative apply everywhere, not just at Disney, you know, in our lives and everything we do. <laughs> Would you walk us through the transformation map or kind of give us a high-level understanding of, of what that is and, and how you've laid that out? Oh, goodness. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it happened when I was writing the book. Um, the editor who was partnering with me on the Wonder Switch was like, hey, you, you've got this pathway that you're laying out for people. I feel like there's some sort of visual model here that will make this easier to wrap your heads around. She was brilliant to do that. And so I started kind of collaborating with other coaches, executive leaders, trainers, therapists, um, especially experiential therapists. My friend Mark Pimsler contributed greatly to that. Just around how can I map out how all transformation happens? Uh, that was a pretty big, it was a tall order, right? <laughs> and what I happen, realized is that there's this, again, it happens at the intersection of wonder. I used the metaphor of a switch, which is why the book is called The Wonder Switch. We all come into the world with the wonder switch turned on. Wonder is our natural state. And by the way, a little side note for those listening right now who are like, Wonder, like that feels a little woo-woo or like a soft skill or it'd be nice to have. Wonder is essential. And a lot of people are experiencing the benefits of being in a positive awe state or a state of wonder without the knowledge of the science that's happening and pushing things that are happening in their body. There's a ton of research now out of UC Berkeley, especially about what they call positive awe states. And it can do everything from produce cytokines in our body decrease chronic inflammation, can boost our immune system, decrease stress, increase our empathy and our ability to connect with other people on an emotional level. But my favorite thing about wonder is when we're in a positive awe state, our brain begins to loosen its like vice-like grip on the narrative that we have already adopted as true and are clinging onto. In a state of awe, we loosen our grip and we're like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit more open to the story that you're telling me, whatever that story is. And so the goal of the transformation map is to move from what we call an inciting incident towards turning the wonder switch on. But what the map outlines is also how a negative inciting incident led to the wonder switch getting turned off. And so if we start, uh, when you see it in the book, or you can go to harrisatherd.com, I've got a free training on this. This is a video that walks you through it. Essentially what happens is we all come into the world, wonder switch is on. We're super curious, which is just wonder in action. That's what curiosity is. We are hopeful. We have what I call a wonder mindset. Our, our narrative is healthy, right? And then all of a sudden, we have a negative inciting incident in our story that serves as trauma. Trauma is stored in the lower third limbic system part of our brains where a lot of active storytelling takes place. My friend Mark Pimsler that I mentioned earlier is the founder of an amazing organization called ICEP, International Society for Experiential Professionals. What he taught me is that the goal of experiential therapy is to lead, to move that trauma up into the left. Trauma is a full body experience. And there is no like major trauma and minor trauma. Trauma is anything less than healthy, right? And so we've all experienced yeah. trauma. And so if it stays in the limbic system, it's always active. And so extreme example, say I'm in a traumatic car crash. From that point forward, each time I get in a car, I'm always like grabbing the dashboard. I'm always like gasping anytime someone has to stop quickly, right? The trauma is still active. It's telling me a story. And so the goal of healing from that traumatic experience is to move that trauma from my limbic system up into a part of my brain where it's almost more like a memory. And I can honor the reality of the pain and how difficult that experience was while simultaneously saying it happened then, but it's not happening now. 
I can reframe the story and extract some meaning. And as Viktor Frankl says, when you find a redemptive perspective on your suffering, it also allows your suffering to cease to become suffering, uh, which is amazing. And so it's, it's doing the work around that trauma, understanding how it gave birth to things like shame or addiction, which then gave birth to lies. I think there's only three lies in the world. I'm not enough. I don't belong. And I can't. I can't fill in the blank with whatever, attain something that your heart deeply desires or accomplish something that you feel like you were put on this planet to do. I'm not enough, I don't belong, and I can't. Those three lies, a lie is just a story that we make up to make sense of that pain that comes from the shame and the trauma. That's what breaks the narrative and turns the wonder switch off. And so the rest of the transformation map is you know, outlining what is the result of the wonder switch getting turned off, and then what is the what are the steps that we can take to create to initiate, to be the catalyst of a positive inciting incident that leads us back to a state of wonder where that switch gets flipped on and we're back to the original state of our childhood yeah. where believing is seeing instead of seeing is believing, where wonder replaces our cynicism, where curiosity is greater than fear and we become hopeful again. I feel like uh, the idea of how we're processing trauma and that exists in all of us is something that I'm understanding more and more. Uh, John Deloney, who is a... Uh, a Ramsey personality, an entree leader, and spoke at Entree Leader Summit last year, has a whole talk about, and he's about to come out with a new book as well, um, that I think is really making this idea even more accessible to more people because it's the way we navigate those stories really empower us to move forward. And I guess, so for like a, a small business owner or a solopreneur who's trying to identify where they might be on that map, like what... um. What steps do you have or like what kind of keys do you have for them to help them kind of understand where they are in the circle and mm. how they can kind of figure out what to do next? <laughs> well, this sounds like a sales pitch, but I, you got to start by either reading the book or jumping on harrisatthird.com and just right there at the top section of the page, just click the button that says yeah. like start here or something like that and jump into that free training and just start to understand these different steps because, uh, you know, the power of putting this in the form of a transformation map which is, again, what the diagram is called, is that you can figure out how you're feeling or where you feel stuck. So if you're stuck in recognizing, like, gosh, I'm just ruled by worry and anxiety, great. That's a, that's an imagination problem, right? Your imagination is being hijacked, um, and it's, tell, it's leading the way on the storytelling. And then once you ID yourself and figure out where you are, then you just do the difficult work of tracing the steps back until you get to the birthplace of what led to that problem, Right. And you most likely find your way back to trauma, which means a lot of this work, whether it's happening within a corporate space, whether it's a leader leading a team through this or work that you're doing on your own with an experiential therapist, it comes back to healing from that trauma. Because until you fix the the cracks on the foundation of the house, continuing to renovate the house and plastering over the cracks on the walls and the drywall, it's just they're going to keep cracking, right? We've got to work at the foundational level to rewrite some of those stories and take back the agency. You have so much more agency over your story than you realize. And I often encourage people to just get out a piece of paper and write a line down the center and make two columns. What can I control and what can't I control? Usually people are in one of two camps. A lot of people from a religious background, they tend to, to fall into the camp of like, oh, nothing. Like I can control nothing. It's all outside of my control. And that's just not completely true. And then there's the other side that are like, oh, I'm trying to control everything, which is just exhausting because you can't. And so I think to be really clear about what's within your control and what's can't, what can't, you realize, man, I've got a little more agency over a lot of what's happening in my life than I realize. And probably behind that is mindset. Probably what's driving that mindset are my belief systems. 
And probably those belief systems are anchored in some sort of narrative that I have formed as true. And I bet there's some lies in that narrative that if we correct and rewrite, we can get you back to a healthier place of living and growth. And when we are healthy, we lead our teams better, we lead our businesses better. When we identify yeah. those lies in our business, because this, this applies to, you know, there's your business may go through its own trauma in a way. Like, you know, the pandemic for so many businesses was traumatic. I mean, I've watched you, Harris, navigate having to cancel and move and reimagine all these events. And so this kind of organization has experienced collective trauma in that way. Our nation has ex- experienced that as well. And and so there's a lot, um, a lot to navigate. It's interesting. My my wife just spent a week at Onsite in in Nashville or outside of Nashville, and um, one of the tools, which is kind of this week long therapy experiential therapy thing for our audience. But the uh, one of the things she came back with was his language was in my that's in my hula hoop or not in my hula hoop. And so it's become <laughs> this like very funny visualization in our home as we're yeah. talking about the like, hey, I'm making this request for you, but I recognize it's not in my hula hoop; it's in your hula hoop or whatever it might be. It's taking that Covey language or that, you know, the kind of circle of influence or whatever might be and really kind of giving it this very tangible um, visual picture, which has been yeah. really helpful. Yeah. And we, we have to, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of the word normalize. I feel like it's being overused because now we're trying to normalize everything. Um, but if we don't normalize these conversations connected to our mental health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, we're not going to be able to be the leaders that we're created to be. We're not going to be able to grow as successful companies as we're capable of. We're not going to be able to lead our teams the way that we really should. And so we've got to do this deep inner work without rolling our eyes and feeling like it's too soft or woo-woo. It's it's the stuff that really matters and makes the biggest difference. I feel like for a, you know, a lot of our audience, they're very tactically in the business day in and day out. Uh, what are some like disciplines or things that you've done to kind of increase that that all state, the wonder in your life? What's just like something that you do regularly to try to encounter that more kind of intentionally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the book, I talk about one of the studies that UC Berkeley did on positive all states, and they they called it referred to it as all stimuli. What they call all stimuli, I just call magic, right? And yeah. so a magic trick is all stimuli. A sunset in the right scenario is all stimuli. And sometimes it's manufactured. Um, you know, watching the fireworks and projection mapping show on the Magic Kingdom castle at Disney World, Cinderella's castle, that's that's all stimuli. Raising a kid is filled with all stimuli, right? And so we've got to figure out what is magic. One of my favorite quotes is from Roald Dahl. He said, those who don't believe in magic will never find it. Um, And that sort of aligns with how magic tricks work because, you know, magic tricks work because most human beings think that seeing is believing. And you're like, dude, I saw it with my own eyes. It was there and then it was gone. Or, you know, my watch was on my wrist and then it's like totally disappeared. He took it. Like like seeing is not believing. It doesn't take much more than me making something look like it's levitating even though it's not for you to recognize that human beings are not that great at determining what is real or true based on what our senses perceive. But what the science supports when they partner with magicians to understand how our five senses interpret information in the world around us is that believing is actually seeing, that far more than our eyes interpreting what's real and informing our brain is the reality that our, that our belief systems are informing what we see. And so if seeing is not believing, but believing is seeing, and if Roald Dahl said that those who don't believe in magic will never find it, that means there's a lot of people walking around going, hey, Harris, uh, you keep talking about this awe stimuli. Yeah, I uh, I don't have any in my world. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's because you don't believe in it. The magic is right there. It's in front of your face. It's in the yes, it's in the mountaintop experiences because life is a roller coaster ride. But it's also the beauty in the mundane. 
It is all around us. We just often can't see it because in order to see it, you have to believe in it first. And so for the person who's like, I just, I need to go find some magic. Gosh, you got to figure out, okay, you probably don't believe in a lot of the magic that's all around you or you would be able to already see it. So because you're missing it, let's start with what you do believe in. What is magical to you? Like what is truly magical? And you have to go back as far in your story as you have to, to think back to what was some of the magic that you remember experiencing that just made you go, wow. Before you started growing up and the wow started to fade away and you became obsessed with asking how, how's this work, how's that work, how's that work? Before your house crushed your wow, what made you go, wow, that was amazing. Go get back in touch with that. If it's taking a hike, if it's watching a sunset, if it's hanging with a friend, if it's going for a walk with someone that you care about, if it's a deep conversation with a friend, like go find the magic because that is the stimulus for awe. And when you get into that positive awe state, that's when the physiology in your body starts shifting. It's when your brain loosens its grip on the old narrative that's not serving you anymore. Um, it's where you get on the path back towards the wonder switch being turned on so you can shift that narrative mood from the old story through the liminal space where there it feels like there's no story and into realizing that new story and manifesting it and properly using your imagination to create and dream and innovate instead of getting stuck in worry and anxiety and fear. That's amazing. I, after I read this book, I started um, with my team every week or every couple of weeks, uh, literally giving them homework to come to the meeting. Hey, we're going to take the first five minutes of our meeting. Just share something that inspired you. Share something mm. that was cool to you. And it was so fascinating. You know, some people can ex access that really easily. Some people are like me and I'm like you, where they're just kind of looking for it all the time. And you're, you know, you're always sending people that YouTube clip or sending that um, picture or the <laughs> idea or whatever it might be. You know, my friend said this and it blew my mind. You know, other people just don't think that way naturally or they've, yeah. they've lost that over time. And I remember sitting in my, my last role, I had very concrete thinkers and then like very abstract thinkers kind of all executing a lot of different stuff together. And, you know, you sometimes have to really push people, but it's like, hey, it can just be a clip from a TV show. How did they shoot that? Oh, I've never thought about that before, whatever it might be. But when I took that, I really, I saw the the people on my team, especially those who don't live in that, that state all the time or as mm -hmm. much, really start to be able to solve problems in new and different ways. Like I saw it apply. I saw it open up new almost neural pathways in their brain to be able to solve yes. problems in ways they hadn't before just by forcing them to think different about yeah. what is inspiring them. That's exactly what's happening. Yeah, those neurons get to carve out these new pathways in our brain, and it becomes easier to replace the old story with the new one over time. Ryan, this is also why I love group coaching. It's why we do everything in the context of community, um, because when, when the right content and the right coaching happens in a group format instead of just one-to-one, -one, and I've experienced this both as a participant in masterminds and through leading our own mastermind, what happens is that you are exposed to the wins and the breakthroughs of other people. And when you're doing that in the context of community, you find yourself constantly being reminded of what's possible in your own life. And a lot of people, even when they win, they're winning in isolation. And because the, the breakthroughs aren't shared with others, it, like that we're actually connected to, it's sometimes difficult to remember that that's possible for us. And so then what do we do? We open up our phone and we scroll through Instagram and we watch the wins of celebrities that we have no connection to. We watch the wins of influencers that we're not in community with. And we feel connected to them because we clicked a follow button, but we're not truly connected. And so this is why community is so important. It is difficult to maintain and live a life rooted in wonder and curiosity and agency over the story uh, and leaning into the power that you have as a leader outside of the context of community. 
it's nearly impossible. Man, that is, uh, that's really challenging for me. I'm like, gosh, where am I looking for those opportunities to experience those things together? So as we kind of wrap up here, I'd love to just hear, you know, for you, you know, if you, you know, you've got this audience with the, you know, small business owners, medium business owners, you know, solopreneurs, like what do you, what's your like hope and dream for them? Like, what do you want to kind of charge them with or challenge them with or encourage them with? Oh man, something new I've been thinking about and working on. Um, I'm writing my next book right now. Um, and it's, I don't know what the title will be exactly yet. Uh, maybe it's just simply wonder work, but I've been thinking a lot about what wonder work is. Because once we flip the wonder switch on, I think the next step is really to to move from wonder being this state that we kind of enter in and out of to living and working in a state of wonder. Uh, I think that's possible if you are driven by what I call a wonder mindset. And so once you flip the switch and develop a wonder mindset, I think what's next for you is to step into performing your wonder work. Wonder work is at the center of your passion and your calling and your gifting. It's the thing that you were put on this planet to do that when you perform it, it gives you so much meaning and purpose and joy that it leaves you in awe. So you get to live in the state of awe. You wake up every single morning going, wow, I can't believe I get to do this every single day. This is mind blowing to me. It's magical. While simultaneously uh, changing and impacting the world around you. I don't think purpose is what we do. I think purpose is what happens in the world and the lives of others when we do what we do. And I think that's probably connected back to wonder work. And so to get clear about what your wonder work is means to get clear about what your purpose is and to understand that you have the power through your work, through your business, through your leadership to help lead others back to a place of constant wonder. So they look at the work that you're doing and go, wow, you're amazing, which is awesome and necessary to your own success. But it also allows them to look in the mirror and go, man, they're amazing, but I didn't realize how amazing I was too. I didn't realize what I was capable of. And so my charge to everyone listening in is like, get clear about what that is. You know, I think there's a big, deep conversation there around how you're positioning yourself in the marketplace and that it has to come from a very purpose-driven place. And once you find your wonder work, perform it, wake up every single morning asking not how can I make more money, but how can I make a bigger difference? And as Zig Ziglar famously said, you help enough other people get what they want in life, you can have anything you want, right? I just butchered it. He, he did it in reverse. You can have anything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Um, and to me, starting from a place of performing your wonder work in the world uh, is a pretty good, pretty good place to begin. Gosh, that's incredible. Thank you so much, Harris. If people want to get connected with you or take a next step in, you know, one of the kind of things you're working on, what, where would you point them to? Where can they get your book? You know, what would a good next step be for them to connect with you? Yeah, well, the book is called The Wonder Switch. It's available everywhere books are sold. You can learn more at wonderswitch.com. Uh, my personal site is harristhethird.com. That has information on the transformation map. There's a bunch of other free resources there. You can also follow at harristhethird on socials. That's Harris III. I have a weird name. It's just like the Roman numeral three. So Harris III on all socials. I'm most active on Instagram. And then if you're interested in the couple conferences we talked about, uh, you can go check out story2022.com for this uh, year's conference coming up in September. It's going to be amazing. We'll be back in person, hopefully in Nashville. And then solocon.com uh, if you want to get plugged into the solo community. That's awesome. Gosh, Harris, thank you so much. We're going to stick around here and he's going to answer one more question for us about the tools and resources he uses as an entrepreneur. You're not going to want to miss it. And to hear that, you need to click subscribe to our email list and we will send you a link to our bonus content or you can visit onenextsteppodcast.com where you can find a link in our show notes. Harris, thank you so much for joining us today. Dude, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Really, it's an honor. 
gosh, Ryan, that was a fantastic conversation with Harris III. I don't know how you weren't taking notes the entire time. I was really grateful to know that it was being recorded, I'm going to be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's not fun to go back and listen to yourself, but to hear what Harris had to yeah. say, uh, I, I was really looking forward to be able to, to kind of sit with that. I'll tell you, I think my favorite takeaway was actually from the bonus conversation that if you subscribe to our emails or if you go to our show notes page, you can get access to. He shares a tidbit of how he uses technology to manage his team that was unbelievably helpful to me. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, I personally loved his approach to wonder, you right? As well as the idea that solopreneurs need community too on their journey of being alone with. Yeah, I love that. Solocon has really filled a gap in that way over the last few years for folks who identify as solopreneurs and kind of engaging their business that way. Now, as always, we have one next step for everyone to take. This week, Harris is offering our listeners access to his free virtual workshop, The Solopreneur Success Path. This is one you don't want to miss, so head to our show notes to find the link. Well, thank you so much for tuning in for this week's One Next Step. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And if you're ready to start accomplishing more and juggling less, go to belaysolutions.com. Join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you advance your business one step at a time. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com. Join us next week with Trisha as she chats with Tim Schur, the author of the new book, The Secret Society of Success. Tim is the former VP of Talent Management and Culture at StoryBrand, which is Donald Miller's company. He'll talk about how we can redefine success while learning how to stop chasing money, fame, and power all the while discovering meaning and fulfillment in the work that we do. Here's a quick preview. One of my favorite leaders is Tim Cook, CEO of Apple. And before he was CEO, he was COO under Steve Jobs. Well, Steve passes away and the person who had been groomed to take over is Tim Cook. So at the launch of the Apple Watch, which was the first new product in a new category since Steve had passed. So this is a huge deal. Yeah. When asked, is this the moment for you, the moment of your career at Apple, Tim says, well, it's a moment for Apple. I don't really think about myself that much. Mm.